come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. Gods are but names of the force of nature themselves. Alistair Crowley And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Revelations 17.3 Don't believe in yourself. Don't deceive with belief. Knowledge comes with death's release. David Bowie. Mm. Mm. Love Bowie. (laughs) Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast from outer space. It's your boy Rob Scott. We got... Billy the Kid, a.k.a. the Korean Cowboy. Yeehaw, what's going on, everyone? And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Aloha, Loyal Legion. And happy Halloween, Loyal Legion. This is episode 109, where we will be discussing none other than the wickedest man on earth, Alistair Crowley. Yes, a happy Halloween to the Loyal Legion out there. Um, Now, this is a topic that has been requested by a few people. Uh, I know Rob's been wanting to get to this one for a while, and this gentleman has come up on a plethora of other topics that we've covered in the past. So without further ado, let us dive in to the life and times of Aleister Crowley. Now, as always, uh, right up top, did did you guys know about Aleister Crowley, or I guess what was your first exposure to the beast aka mr 666 aka mr boof crowley uh you know what did you guys first hear about this guy or i guess any background on him that you guys had before getting into this research mr crowley that's probably like the first time i ever heard his name and i was like who the fuck is this guy okay the ozzy osbourne song yeah and then after that i'm thinking i probably just did like some solo research on the guy and i was like wow this is pretty crazy and then once you know we got a little older started diving into the stuff that we talk about on our episodes i realized like wow this guy is definitely tied to or influenced a lot of um i guess you could say like modern day pop culture and people of the occult I guess you could say. Okay. All right. Bill, what do you got? I think uh, it was Charles Manson when I first heard of it. Because if I'm not mistaken, I think Charles Manson was like influenced by him or something. Okay. Like Rob said. Yeah. I mean, I may be wrong about that, but that's one thing I remember. And then um, the other the other thing is um, I'm really into this uh, musician called Ghostmane. He's like this like dark horror rapper. Oh, like, nice! Kind of like Tech Nine, but just kind of depressing lyrics, but awesome music. And, yeah. And uh, and there there's just one lyric where he's like, uh, 
I don't worship I don't worship Satan, bitch. I am a I am a Thelemite or Themalite. Um, and I think that's like what Aleister Crowley's like group was called. Yeah. Thelemite, yeah, so. yeah. Thelema. Yeah. So I mean <laughs> okay. there you go. Like it even influenced like current, you know, music yeah. at, like as we speak. So Okay. Yeah, yeah. For me, I it was definitely the Ozzy song, obviously. Um I know I, Rob had the Blizzard of Oz CD. Hell yeah, I did. Uh, do you know what year that mm. was when you got that? Um, probably like 2003, 2004. Okay, yeah, I remember that very vividly. Uh, I remember the song, but again, you know, I just heard it in the song. I didn't really... I might have probably asked Rob, and he was like, oh, yeah, he was this occult guy. And, you know, you're constantly seeing this guy. As we said, he pops up in music, uh, most notably, but uh, not limited to the metal genre. Um, and with that, he's basically become like the poster boy, we'll say of the occult. And, um, I think I first kind of started getting more into actual research with obviously our Loch Ness episode. Check out, uh, episode 43 for that Loch Ness episode. Yeah. And then obviously, uh, right after that, we dove into our series on Jack Parsons. Episode 44 and 45. So check those out as well if you're interested. And uh, we talk about Crowley a fair amount in those episodes, I think. Um, and yeah, you know, yeah, check those out. But um, and we're we're gonna see just how many past episodes this guy is connected to because um, I would say Alistair has had a massive influence on like the modern age, pop culture, all that type of shit. Like the world might be a very different place if not for this gentleman. Um, and you know, more so like his whole, I guess, image or mindset philosophy, that kind of thing. Um, now for those who aren't familiar, Alistair Crowley was a ceremonial magician, poet, painter, novelist, mountaineer, and as we said, is probably the most famous occultist of all time. Uh, now he founded the religion of Thelema, identifying himself as the prophet who would guide humanity into the Aeon of Horus in the early 20th century. Uh, he was referred to by the tabloids as the wickedest man in the world, and Crowley gained widespread notoriety during his lifetime, being an avid drug user, bisexual, and social critic, rejecting his societal norms. Um, and his influence has spread far and wide, finding his way into the works of the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, the Rolling Stones, David Bowie, Anton LaVey, who is the Church of Satan founder, and L. Ron Hubbard, who was the Scientology founder, just to name a few. Um, yeah, no big deal. Just a couple of people that he influenced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like I'm going to base my like Church of Satan off this guy. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, pretty much. Now, now he was also if we look at him from I guess like a more academic standpoint, um he was also one of the first western students of Buddhism and yoga, approaching these teachings not as primitive or mystical theories, but really taking them more seriously as a means of spiritual development. Uh, so pretty much anticipating the spread of Eastern spiritual practices in the West. Uh, this was highly influential on the counterculture of the 1960s, and some go as far as crediting Crowley himself with sparking the modern movement known as New Age. 
Man, this guy would have been loved in today's day and age. Yeah, now he is the subject of many biographies and documentaries, and his works continue to be studied well into the 21st century. Uh, and, you know, essentially, this guy is like a, somewhat of a real-life Harry Potter. If Harry Potter was uh, boofing Ron and doing sex rituals with Hermione, that's like that's like what this, oh guy, was. I mean, this guy was like a this guy was a wizard. This guy was a fucking maniac. Um, and and we're gonna get into all of this now. I don't now, think he ever got locked in a closet though by his uncle. Well, you know, he was definitely in the closet for a while, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, now, now, before we get into <laughs> going in and out, before we get <laughs> oh, into uh, all of the good stuff, let's get into a little background on where this gentleman comes from. Now, obviously, we aren't going to go through every single detail of his entire life. Um, I tried to cut out like some of the more mundane details, like his poetry, because uh, I, I mean, for me, poetry. Not my strong suit. Not a big poetry guy. Yeah, not a big poetry guy. Unless it's Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, I honestly don't get it. I was never a fan of of the poetry classes I took in college. And so I don't know about you guys. But also, this guy, he just wasn't that great of a poet. Um, Wasn't that great of a writer in general. (laughs) Yeah, but I I did want to basically hit the more interesting aspects of his life before getting into his magical practices, religion, and legacy. Um, so, so let's get into it. Let me set the scene for you guys. So imagine if you can, we'll take it. We're going into the time machine. The year is 1875. The telegraph was just invented by Alexander Graham Bell. The first indoor ice hockey game ever was played in Montreal, Canada. Hmm. Uh, Billy the Kid was arrested for the first time here in the U.S., beginning his short life as an infamous American outlaw. And and Captain Matthew Webb became the first person to swim the English Channel. Now, did you put those in there just for me and Billy? A little hockey for me, a little Billy the Kid. Yeah, you know, for the cowboy. I was, you know, I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm getting topical here. Now, on October 12th, 1875 in Royal Leamington, Warwickshire, England, a one Edward Alexander Crowley was born. Now, his father, uh, Edward Crowley, was an engineer by trade, but his family owned a lucrative brewing business, Crowley Alton Ales. And uh, his stake in the company had allowed him to retire before Alistair was even born. Now, I was doing a little bit more. I guess to research into this, his father's ale company, or I guess family's ale company, was they basically established like a bunch of public houses for the common man, um, which served beer and sandwiches at an affordable price. So pretty much like Applebee's, you know, this allowed the common folk of the time to eat good in the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, they had those two for twenty specials. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and um, twenty pounds that is. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's gonna go get some dumplings at the Cracker Barrel. <laughs> yeah, that's a, or Crowley's place. Yeah, that's essentially what this was. So, I mean, this this gave them a, a fucking um, myriad of wealth. Um, his family, um, big sandwich guy. Yeah. Now, his mother Emily Bertha Bishop uh, couldn't really find too much on her, but uh, she would go on to develop a strained relationship with uh, young Crowley, and she described her own son as the Beast a name which he himself, of course, loved. Uh, apparently, she was a massive bitch. Um, you would probably say that, too, if your mom called you the beast. <laughs> yeah. Now, 
No, Crowley's father had been born a Quaker, uh, but he had converted to the exclusive brethren. Um, this was like, I guess, a sect of a Christian fundamentalist group. Um, also, sounds like a great rap group name. <laughs> exclusive brethren. <laughs> the exclusive brethren. Um, now, Crowley, he had a pretty strict Christian upbringing. You know, no toys, no children's books. Uh, and the family would read passages from the Bible every morning at breakfast. Um, that sounds fun. Yeah. So at the age of eight, Crowley was sent to an evangelical Christian boarding school. And that's where it all went wrong. And then to a prep school <laughs> in Cambridge run by Reverend Henry Darcy Chapney. Uh, this guy Crowley considered a sadist. Um, and, you know, it's important to note as a young lad, Crowley was full on dedicated to Christianity. You know, he studied the Bible he said his prayers. He was as good a son as an evangelical Christian father could ask for. And his father, I guess, was sort of like a traveling preacher. And Crowley would go with him on these trips out to spread the good word of the Lord. Now, in March of 1887, when Crowley was 11, his father died of tongue cancer. And this is often seen as the first turning point in Crowley's life. Uh, you know, as we said, he had always maintained a respect for his father, describing him as, quote, My hero and my friend. Now, this was a turning point in that from here, he began to sort of question, he began to sort of question the Christian faith. Um, you know, he had visions uh, from a young age of being defiled and disrespected by women, uh, being tortured, all that kind of shit. Um, and in a way, his father's death sort of became the catalyst to Crowley's later beliefs. Um, you know, from here, he begins misbehaving in school, uh, became skeptical of Christianity. He would point out inconsistencies in the Bible to his religious teachers, um, and he became obsessed with the book of Revelation. Um, you know, he sympathized with the antagonists in the Bible, and this, fascina this fascination stayed with him his whole life. Um, and this is pretty interesting because it's like being raised in this fundamentalist Christian household, this was kind of like the lens that Crowley would view the world through. And he sort of stayed within this box of, of Christianity, uh, his whole life, you know? Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like the Necronomicon at all. You ever heard of that? I have. It's like the mythical like Book of the Dead from the like HP Lovecraft lore. Um another yeah, man, another guy. Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah. Essentially like that book, I actually have a copy. We, um me and Nicklaus were obsessed with it in high school. <laughs> I remember and that. The the book opens up with like, you know, to believe like in order for all this like satanic ritual like Book of Dead type shit to work, like you have to believe in God, you know? You have to still be in the lens of Christianity because it's like for every hero, there's a villain, you know, for every good, there's an evil. So it's kind of like the same, uh, what's that saying? Like the same side of the coin? Mm, don't think that's I think that's right. <laughs> Something like that. Same side of the coin. Yeah, same, same oh, edge. It's a double-edged sword. How about that? You know, well, are you right. tracking there? H.P. Lovecraft was another guy influenced by Alistair, yes. Yeah, it's horror writings. You could kind of view Alistair as like an early horror writer, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just, you 
kind of see what I'm getting at there. You know, he this is where I'm getting at like his he always viewed the world through this lens and kind of stayed in in this box with his beliefs and teachings and shit. Um, oh, he was in a lot of boxes. Yeah. Now he also mutilated a cat as an experiment since he was told they had nine lives. Again, you look at this from a, from a fundamentalist Christianity viewpoint, like they take the Bible literally. So Crowley took that literally um, and he proceeded to chloroform the cat, poison it with arsenic, slit its throat, crushed its skull, burned it, and then threw it out the window. Um, and he says this was a success. The cat did not need, in fact, to die. <laughs> but yeah, that's this. kind of sounds like he might might have turned into a serial killer, to be honest. Well, well a little Jeff Dahmer over there. Serial ki- <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's like, geez, Dad, I'm just trying to enjoy some Crowley Alton Ales. What the heck? You know? <laughs> now, now. Just going down to the public house, Dad. Jeez. No, from age 15 on, he would also go against the Christian morality of his upbringing by smoking, masturbating, and having sex with prostitutes from whom he contracted a myriad of STDs. And who wouldn't? Yeah. And there was a story. I uh, One of the stories I was reading is like, um, I think this is the person he lost his virginity to, was like a young parlor maid. In his parents' house, he he fucked her in his mom's bed, and then nice, the family like blamed it on the maid, and she was fired. Um, Alistair took no responsibility, and then he would later say that she would go on to become a prostitute, and one of the prostitutes that was murdered by Jack the Ripper. So Whoa. that's like the. I mean, who knows if that's true? That's just Crowley kind of trying to insert himself into history. I think. Um, but interesting story nonetheless. Now, also, upon his father's death, Crowley inherited a third of his father's wealth. Now, that is somewhere in the tune of $7 million in today's money. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, so, At 11 years baby. old. Yeah, so, you know, that must be nice. And that really sets the tone for this whole episode because... Think about like the 1800s. Most people are just trying to get by. They're just trying to survive, get some food, put a roof over their head. And Crowley's got seven mil. He's basically able to just, he has the funding to just do whatever he wants. He studies his own religion, develops his own religion, like studies this magic shit instead of worrying about basic needs. You know, he's a rich kid, dude. Like that Holland Oates song, Rich Girl. I think that was inspired by Crowley. Rich girl. Yeah, dude. He just had too much time on his hands, too. Exactly. Think about it. He's just like, he was basically like a modern day celebrity, you know, like the rappers that just like buy like eight Lamborghinis. Yeah. He uh, actually, I was thinking he's kind of like Kanye. Mm. Yeah. Now, I know Kanye has been popping (laughs) up quite a bit recently. Um, I don't know if Crowley had a disdain for the Jews as much as Kanye, but um, he didn't like. Like Kanye just says wild shit to be fucking to get to stay relevant. Yeah, to stay relevant. That's kind of how Crowley was. You know, he was trying to be off the cuff. He's trying to be a fucking maniac. Um, and well, he also, di- the guy has mental health issues. Do we think that's the case with Crowley? That could be the case with Crowley. Um, now, well, also, you get seven mil at eleven at eleven years old. That's going to change your life. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Right, and he did like dismember and like burn and poison and like you know. Mutilate the cat, the cat. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You can Might definitely... be a psychopath. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Now, 
So by the age of 19, Crowley had developed interests in chess, poetry, and mountain climbing. Um, having adopted the name Alistair over Edward in October of 1895, Crowley began a three-year course at Trinity College, Cambridge, where he entered the study of the moral sciences, concentrating in philosophy. Now, with approval from his personal tutor, he then switched his study to English Lit. Mm, just um, like you, bud. Yeah. But, uh, however, this was not part of like the curriculum offered. So I don't know if he could have actually got a degree in this. Um, Crowley spent much of his time at university engaged in his interests, becoming president of the chess club, playing for two hours a day. Uh, and he briefly considered a career as a pro chess player. Uh, also something you can do when you inherit $7 million. Just, you know, <laughs> I might become a chess player. That's what I'm doing <laughs> yeah, with my life. Yeah, no. There's a lot of options. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, chess player. Uh, yeah, Scuba chess diver. Hmm. Now, now Crowley also embraced his love of literature and poetry, particularly the works of Richard Francis Burton and Percy Shelley, who we know all too well from our Frankenstein episode. Check out episode 36 if you'd like to learn more about Frankenstein. Yes, uh, Percy Shelley. He was the husband of Mary Shelley who wrote Frankenstein, and this guy was a fucking maniac in his Total own right. Douchebag. Yeah, get in, check out that episode for more info on him. But Crowley liked this guy's poetry. Um, now, he continued his mountaineering, uh, going on holiday to the Alps to climb every year from 1894 to 1898, often with his friend Oscar Eckenstein. Classic rich guy stuff. Oh, Going yeah. to the Alps, the Alps. playing chess. Playing <laughs> chess. Yeah. Now, in 1897, he made his first ascent of the Monch, uh, which is, I guess, this mountain in the Alps uh, without a guide. Now, this this was like no joke, uh, crazy feat in, in mountaineering. And this led to his recognition within the Alpine mountaineering community um, because this guy did become like a no joke mountaineer. I mean, he would go, uh, we'll see. He went on many treacherous, uh, mountaineering expeditions throughout his life. Did he um, make it to the top of Everest? He did not make it to the top of Everest, but they did attempt K2, which mm. I believe that was so like, the, Adam. <laughs> yeah, that was like the first, <laughs> that was like the first expedition of K2. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that later. Now, now Crowley had his first significant, mystical experience we'll call it while on holiday in stockholm in december of 1896 uh now several biographers including lawrence sutton who wrote the biography that i read for this episode believe that this was the result of crowley's first homosexual experience we'll say um and this enabled him to recognize his bisexuality. In one of the documentaries I was watching, I guess it was just like he got this painful vision and it was like torture and torment, uh, probably from being boofed by this gentleman. And he said this was like his mystical experience, which kind of like pushed him more into studying the occult. He had a dream that someone was just feeding him and feeding him. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. It's so crazy because so far, besides like killing and maiming a cat or whatever, but so far sounds like a pretty normal guy, you know? Like yeah, just, and I, I do. Like, think oh wait, hold on. Like I might be gay. Oh, it was a mystical experience. Like <laughs> yeah. how many people in the in our culture now like have that on a daily basis? It doesn't make them like this 
deity or anything. I, and crazy. I mean, you it is like we say a lot, like you have to look at someone through the lens of like their time. So 1896, I mean, homosexuality is like illegal. It's highly illegal. Like people were killed for this type of shit. Um, right. He was just like breaking all the all the barriers and boundaries and constraints that like society, because it was very like it was heavily based in Christianity. So he like he went against the grain on that. Yeah, that's why he liked it. I mean, obviously, I guess he was a, a bisexual. I don't think he was doing it purely to go against the grain, but that was, you know, came with the territory. Um, he was running out of stuff to do with that seven mil. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so at Cambridge, Crowley maintained a vigorous sex life with mostly women, female prostitutes to be exact, one of whom uh, he caught syphilis from them. Um, and eventually, as we said, he took part in same-sex activities, dis- despite them being illegal at the time. And in October of 1897, a brief illness triggered... Um, considerate his considerations of mortality and quote he said quote the futility of all human endeavor so from from this point on <clears throat> crowley abandons all thoughts of a normal career in favor of pursuing an interest in the occult now in march of 1898 he obtained a e waits the book of black magic and packs and carl von Eckhart Schausen's The Cloud Upon the Sanctuary, and these furthered his occult interests. Now, a brief overview on these books. So I was looking into these. Uh, the Book of Black Magic and Pacts, also known as the Book of Ceremonial Magic, is essentially an attempt to document various famous grimoires. And what that is, a grimoire is like a textbook of magic information on spells, rituals, uh, magical tools, a list of ingredients and their magical properties, basically like a, the book from um, Hocus Pocus, you know? Nice. Uh, yeah, I was just about to say like a witch book or something. <laughs> yeah. Now, did this, it have an eye on the cover? Uh, th- I don't know. Maybe some grimoires did, but <laughs> was this... it bound in human skin? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this book essentially aimed to kind of collect famous grimoires and explain the history behind them, talk about the legends surrounding them, uh, discuss them on a theological level, and sort of it combined many famous grimoires into one text or system. Um, so a dark, dark Harry Potter, basically. No, not... It's like a combination of spell books, kind of like a cookbook, but for uh, black magic. Mm, but for witches and yeah, yeah. warlocks. Yes. Wizards. And then... Now, this gentleman, Carl von Eckhardshausen, um, he was an 18th century German mystic who wrote extensively on esoteric topics. Uh, now, his work, Cloud Upon the Sanctuary, is basically Christian mysticism veiled in hermetic code. Now, I don't know what that means, but I like it. <laughs> I, was ju- I was just about to say, I was like, <laughs> I have you, uh, no idea what you just said. Obtained a copy for yourself? I, I was trying to... I This... Okay, a lot of this shit, guys, as we'll see, is incomprehensible bullshit. Um, Just like Alistair Crowley's <laughs> That's work. what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> this guy, uh, but this guy, Eckhart Schausen, he was a member of the Bavarian Illuminati, um, which we discuss in our Illuminati episode. Episode number 50, if you'd like to learn more about the Illuminati. Yeah, now he left for spiritual reasons, but... In this book, Cloud Upon the Sanctuary, he mentions a society of the elect 
uh, which has essentially existed from the beginning of time in this invisible celestial church. Now, is that any relation to the exclusive brethren? I don't think so. (laughs) That is more Christian. Um, Not as exclusive. Yeah. Now, he predicted that, quote, it is the society whose members form a theocratic republic, which one day will be the regent mother of the whole world. So I guess like a one world government, this is right up there with Illuminati type shit. New world order? Yeah. Yeah. Now, this book influenced the uh, Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and most notably Aleister Crowley. Like we said, he was very influenced by these two books. Um, these guys are taking a long time to get this shit done. This is written in 1800. Uh, yeah, dude. I mean, Cloud <laughs> Upon the Sanctuary, even yeah. even before that, I believe, 1700s. Um, now, in July of 1898, Crowley leaves Cambridge not having any degree, uh, despite doing very well in his studies. And at Cambridge is also where his dabblings in ritual magic begin. Um, now, in August of 1898, Crowley is in Switzerland, uh, where he met the chemist Julian L. Baker, and the two began discussing their common interest in alchemy, which is, I guess, like the practice of turning various metals into gold. Um, now, back in London, Baker introduces Crowley to George Cecil Jones, who was his brother-in-law, and a fellow member of the occult society known as the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which had been founded in 1888. Um, So a background on the Golden Dawn, they they were basically a right-hand path magic society, uh, because I guess within like the realms of ritual magic, you have right-hand path, left-hand path. Right-hand path is more like the good guys, left-hand path being the bad guys, I guess, or like... I don't know, using like the right hand path guys wanted to kind of keep it secret, keep it for themselves. They would practice them in these elite societies. And I think left hand path was more kind of like, you know, we should be giving this knowledge to everybody. Everybody should be using this. Um, So this society always got a shit on the left handed people. Yeah, this society or system was based on a hierarchy and initiation. So similar to like Freemasonry or Masonic lodges, um, which we get into heavily on our Freemason episode. That would be episode 89 if you'd like to learn more about the Freemasons. Now, different from the Freemasons, the Golden Dawn, um, they admitted women on an equal basis as men. And within the Golden Dawn, there was, I guess, three orders and they're all collectively referred to as the Golden Dawn. So the First Order taught esoteric philosophy based on Hermetic Kabbalah and personal development through study of the four classical elements, which are earth, water, air, and fire, as well as a basics of astrology, tarot divin- divination, and geomancy, which is like finding patterns in uh, like every... like You know how people say... They can like read their future in coffee grounds, that type of shit. That's what uh, geomancy uh, is. I've you never know, heard that one before. Or like people look at your palm and can see your like oh, life yeah, path, yeah, that, yeah. that type of shit. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, Kabbalah is a Hebrew word from the root kabel or kabel, um, which means to receive. So Kabbalah is basically like a received teaching or tradition Um, This refers specifically to the body of received mystical teachings of the Torah, 
Um, Kabbalah is like an ancient wisdom that that's essentially trying to like understand how the universe and life work. Um, you know, it's, it's how to receive fulfillment in our lives. Uh, and then the teachings of Kabbalah is, uh, they've existed since the beginning of time. And, um, the first written record is called the book of formation, uh, written 5,000 years ago. It, it attempts to help us understand the secrets of the universe. Now, again, that's a cursory overview of Kabbalah. Um, I was trying to look more into this and essentially what it's like, like Kabbalah is astrophysics level theology. So, you know, you don't just take an astrophysics course and ace it. You have to start at physics 101, work your way up over a period, a long period of time. So same principle applies here. You don't just pick up Kabbalah and and know it off the, off the riff. You got to study theology to be able to understand it. Unless you're Aleister Crowley. <laughs> yeah, unless you're Aleister Crowley right. now. So the second order, or the inner order, um, this taught magic, including scrying, which is like seeing visions, crystal balls, that type of shit. Astral projection, which is like deep meditation, or I guess kind of like lucid dreaming. And then alchemy. And then the third and final order was that of the secret chiefs, uh, who were said to be the h- highly skilled... Um, they supposedly directed the activities of the lower two orders by spirit communication with the chiefs of the second order. Um, so this is set up sort of like religion, you know, like think about like the Catholic church, you have a bishop who's giving you the messages from God. Like you have a bit like in Christianity, you have a, a preacher who reads a sermon. He interprets the text of the Bible for the congregation, you know? It's like you have to go through him. Same thing with these secret chiefs. You pay to get through these levels. And then at the third one, the guy's like, well, let me consult the secret chiefs. And the only he can like decipher what they're saying, that type of shit, you know? So third order is basically like the Pope. Yeah, I guess. It's kind of like that. It's the highest you can get to. Now, <clears throat> Crowley was initiated into the Outer Order of the Golden Dawn on the 18th of November, 1898, by the group's leader, Samuel Little McGregor Mathers. Now, Mathers himself was a master Freemason who is credited with founding the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and he translated many important magical texts like the Key of Solomon and Kabbalah Revealed. So, they initiate Alistair. This takes place at their headquarters, uh, the Golden Dawn's Isis Urania uh, Temple, which is um, held at London's Mark Mason's Hall. Um, now, Crowley took the magical motto and name Freighter Perdurabo, which he interpreted as, quote, I shall endure till the end. Now, during this time... Alistair moves into a luxurious flat on Chancery Lane and soon invited a senior Golden Dawn member, Alan Bennett, to live with him as his personal magic tutor and butt buddy. Uh, Basically, quite a combination. (laughs) Yeah. So basically, he saw this guy as a mark. You know, this guy was in the second order. He was high up and he knew a good deal about the occult. So Alistair is basically like, hey, you come teach me everything you know about the occult and you can live with me in this luxurious flat. We'll practice magic together. It'll be a fucking grand old time. And Crowley was very charismatic, very persuasive. 
Um, so Bennett says, okay, you know, and he, he starts teaching Crowley about ceremonial magic and altered states of consciousness brought on by drugs, most notably morphine, opium, cocaine, and chloroform, which Bennett had obtained for his asthma. Um, and all this stuff was legal at the time. That's crazy. So he was basically just like, come live with me, teach me magic, and we'll just do drugs and then fuck all day. Well, yeah. Like, and that, well, I think he's like, all right. Was it, he wasn't charging this guy rent? He was charging him in uh, blowjobs? Other ways. Yeah, yeah, essentially. yeah, exactly. Essentially, these guys would do sex magic together and do all these drugs. But I think Bennett introduced the drugs to him. Like He was like, hey, we can do these rituals and alter our states of consciousness with these drugs. Alistair, I'm only doing this cocaine for my asthma. For my asthma, yeah. I've got, <laughs> I've got chloroform and opium for my asthma. Let's do magic together. Um, so within days of moving in, they're experimenting with various magical rituals. Um, together, they perform the ritual of Goita. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, this refers to an evocation of Goisha. demon. Yeah, Goisha, Goita. Uh, this refers to an evocation of demons or evil spirits. Um, now, fast forward to November of 1899. Crowley purchased Boleskine House, uh, the Boleskine House in foyers um, on the shores of Loch Ness in Scotland. Um, and now this, has he still got the flat as well? I don't know if he had the flat. It's I just think popping all over the place. Yeah, and he kind of picked this place because it was secluded. It's a it's a country house, and this was perfect place for him to carry out what is known as the Abramelin ritual. Now this comes from. The sacred magic of Abramelin the Mage, which is, I guess, like a grimoire on this ritual, and it dates way back. Nobody is really sure who wrote this, um, but it's rooted in Jewish mysticism, and this ritual is used for contacting one's own holy guardian angel. Um, it's considered supremely important magical ritual in the Golden Dawn and by Alistair himself. Um, now, this whole operation is supposed to take 18 months, um, and the text warns that only those with good intention may successfully complete the operation. Hell of a ritual. Yeah, so allegedly, you know, he starts doing this thing. Um, he invokes a ton of evil spirits. Uh, the house took on an ominous atmosphere noted by the locals. Um, housekeepers left. One of them went insane and tried to kill Crowley. Uh, even the local butcher's death was attributed to Crowley's rituals. And some posit that this invoked the infamous Loch Ness monster to begin to appear to the locals of Loch Ness. Um, now, again, I said we, we discussed this in length in a history of the house in our Loch Ness episode. Again, check out episode uh, 43 uh, for more info on Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, and if you fast forward to forty, about 47 minutes in um, is where we get into a history of the house. This was like a real creepy place. Um, now, Crowley also, yeah, Crowley also developed a love of Scottish culture, describing himself as Laird of Boleskine and took to wearing traditional Highland dress even during visits to London. Um, now he stops the ritual one weekend. <laughs> so not this, long. <laughs> yeah. This thing is supposed to take 18 months. Crowley is preoccupied. He stops the ritual one weekend. 
Now, as we said. Now, what does that do to the ritual? Well, possibly fucking invoke the Loch Ness, all these evil spirits. He obviously didn't do it right. Um, and I probably I, not with good intention either. Yeah, and I think with re, uh, I was going back in our Loch Ness episode, I, like the two two previous owners of the house after Alistair, both of whom committed suicide. One of them in the house. Um, so you know, and uh, it burned down in 2019. I found <clears> out. Yeah, so probably didn't do the ritual correct. Um, now left the fucking portal open or something. Yeah. Now he is initiated into the, as we said, he's initiating the first order. He's doing real well. He's, he's passing everything with flying colors. He's catching on to all this ritual magic very quick. Uh, and he's progressing through the ranks. So he's like, guys, come on. Yeah. I gotta get into this second order. Um, but you know, it's no secret, no surprise that he was unpopular in the group. Uh, his bisexuality and libertine lifestyle had gained him a bad reputation, and he had developed feuds with some of the other members, uh, including infamous or including famous poet W.B. Yeats. Uh, now, Mathers, the founder, also didn't really care for Alistair. The guy that let him in. Yeah, basically, be, like, think about it. Alistair's the new kid on the block. He's the hot shot. He thinks his shit don't stink. Uh, he's doing the Abramelin ritual right out of the gate. This was like the, you know, their supremely important ritual. And Alistair's just like, oh, yeah, let me go do this right now. Um, so the Golden Dawn's London Lodge refused to initiate Crowley into the Second Order. Now, he went and visited Mathers personally in Paris, and Mathers went ahead and admitted him into the Adeptus Minor grade, uh, mostly because he needed money. He needed Crowley's money. He saw Crowley as this rich guy who could offer money to keep the the Golden Dawn going. Uh, Now, after this happened, a schism developed between Mathers and the London Lodge members, Um, They were unhappy with his decision. And um, so Crowley and Mathers basically attempt to go like uh, seize their ritual like palace or whatever. Um, The temple space at 36 Blythe Road in West Kensington. Um, So they go try to like take this from the London Lodge members. They post up in there and they basically say like, hey, anybody that wants to come do these rituals needs to you know, recognize me, Alistair Crowley, as a member of the Second Order. Um, now, eventually, this take this was taken to court, and the judge ruled in favor of the London Lodge as they had paid for the space's rent. Um, so this left both Crowley and Mathers isolated from the group. So he says, you know what? Fuck the Golden Dawn. Uh, and he dips out to Mexico. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, no. Nah, it was just, it's just funny. It, he's basically like Kanye West and Donald Trump, like as <laughs> like one just, human. Like I've been told that I'm the greatest musician, yeah. uh, magician. They that's what they said that I'm the greatest magician. Yeah, uh, yeah. So and but also Golden Dawn, you know, it really just wasn't what Crowley had expected it to be. Like he kind of thought these guys were a bunch of fucking nerds. That's why he's doing the Abramelin ritual right out of the gate. He's like, guys, we, we could be doing so much more. Uh, and, you know, these guys are just kind of, I don't know. It just wasn't what he thought. Um, so as we said, he dips out to Mexico. Now in 1900, uh, Crowley travels to Mexico, settling in Mexico City. And he started a relationship with a local woman 
developed a love for the country and continued experimenting with ceremonial magic, working with John Dee's Enochian invocations. Um, He also claimed to have been initiated as a 33rd degree Freemason while he was there. Ghostmane has a song called John Dee. Remember how I was talking about Ghostmane earlier? There you go. I mean, yeah, John Dee, we could probably do a whole nother episode on him. That's this other fucking early, like, I think 16th or 17th century, like, magician type guy. Um, Now, later that same year, he reunites with his old pal, Oscar Eckenstein, and together they climb several mountains, including Itziwaddle, um, Popocatapetl, and Colima. I think that's how you say all these names. Uh, now, the latter of which they had to abandon due to a volcano eruption. Um, now, he leaves Mexico. He heads to San Francisco before sailing to Hawaii aboard the Nippon Maru. Gotta hit San Fran. Yeah. Now, on this ship, he had a brief affair with a married woman named Mary Alice Rogers, saying that he had fallen in love with her, and he wrote a series of poems about the romance published as Alice, colon, an adultery. Uh, (laughs) Really airing it out. Yeah. Now, from here, he goes to Japan and Hong Kong before reaching uh, Ceylon, I think is how you say that, which is now Sri Lanka. Um, now he meets up here with his old butt buddy, Alan Bennett, um, who had been, he was studying chauvinism, which is, I guess, like a Hindu type spiritual thing. Um, now they spent some time in candy, uh, or candy (laughs) before Bennett decided to become a Buddhist monk traveling to Burma. Now Crowley decides from here to tour India, devoting himself to the Hindu practice of Raja Yoga. Uh, he claimed to have achieved the spiritual state of Dhyana, which is like, this is like deep meditation, knowledge of self, that type of shit. Um, he also contracted malaria and had to recuperate from the disease in Calcutta and Rangoon. Tough life. Yeah. And I'm sure he ate a bunch of crab Rangoon while he was uh, recovering. I think that <laughs> is that where that's got to be where crab Rangoon comes from, right? I believe so. Now in 1902, He's joined in India by Eckenstein and several other mountaineers, and together the Eckenstein Crowley uh, expedition was the first serious attempt at climbing the mountain K2, which had never been climbed. And this is the second highest mountain on earth at 28,251 feet. Uh, probably also the most dangerous mountain in the world to climb. You know that movie Vertical Limit? That was. Uh, that was K2? Yeah, that was K2. Uh, that possibly movie was intense. also Yeah, possibly based off Crowley, dude. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, on the on the journey up K2, Crowley was afflicted with influenza, malaria, and snow blindness. Um, and other expedition members were also struck with illness. They reached an altitude of 20,000 feet uh, before having to turn back. So close. Yeah, so as I'm saying, dude, this guy was a no-joke mountain climber. Um, Now we'll get into, I guess, like, this is the point where he kind of starts, as we said, he split off from the Golden Dawn. He starts kind of doing his own thing. Um, So he returns to Beleskin in April of 1903. 
Uh, now, in August of that year, he married Gerard Kelly's sister, Rose Edith Kelly, and this was a marriage of convenience to prevent her from entering an arranged marriage. Uh, this also happened within days of them meeting each other. Now, obviously, the marriage appalled the Kelly family, and this damaged his friendship with Gerald. Uh, from here, they took their honeymoon to Paris and then Cairo in February of 1904, Crowley and Rose arrive in Cairo, where they stayed in the king's chamber in the Great Pyramid. And this was like badass that you could do this at the time. Like you could just pay to stay inside the Great Pyramid in the king's chamber. <laughs> That'd be so <laughs> epic, man. Yeah. Whoa. Now, according according to Crowley, um, Rose regularly became delirious and informed him, quote, they are waiting for you. They are waiting for you. They are waiting for you. Now, on the 18th of March, she explained that they were the god Horus. And on the 20th of March, in a trance state once again, she proclaimed, quote, The equinox of the gods has come. Now, while they're in um, Egypt... Crowley wore a turban studded with diamonds, a silk robe, and a golden coat. And he claimed that he was a prince and she was a princess. Uh, they rented an apartment in which Crowley set up a temple room, and he begins invoking ancient Egyptian deities while studying Islamic mysticism and Arabic. Uh, so she has these fucking visions in the king's chamber, and Crowley is skeptical of this, you know? Um, so he decides to test her knowledge. Apparently, he's like asking her all these um, questions about these ancient Egyptian gods and shit, and she's fucking nailing them, you know. And this is before Wikipedia; she can't just like look this shit up. Um, now she leads him to a nearby museum, where she led him to a seventh-century BCE mortuary steel known as the Steel of Ekiafonkansu. Um, this was essentially like a painted wood carving. And on the front, Anki Efonkansu can be seen presenting offerings to the falcon-headed god Ray Horus of the Two Horizons, um, which is, I guess, a combination of gods Ra and Horus, uh, who is seated on the throne. Uh, the symbol of the West, or the place of the dead, is seen behind Ray Horus, and above the figure is a depiction of Newt, the sky goddess, stretching from horizon to horizon. Directly beneath her is the winged solar disk, Horus of Bedit. Now, Crowley is fucking blown away by this, and he takes it as a sign that the exhibit's number was 666. Of course it was. So this, obviously, number of the beast in Christian belief, his mother called him the beast. Um, now, he claims that he heard disin a disembodied voice claiming to be that of Awas, the messenger of Horus, saying, quote, Go into your temple on the 8th of April and write down everything you hear. Now from here, Crowley proceeded to write down everything the voice told him over the course of the next three days, entitled it Liber al Velegis, or the Book of the Law. Now, the book proclaimed that humanity was entering a new aeon 
and that Crowley would serve as its prophet. And it stated that a supreme moral law was to be introduced in this aeon, saying, quote, Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So this meant basically that like people should learn to live in tune with their true will. Basically, do whatever the fuck you want, you know? Um, this book and its philosophy would become the central tenet of Crowley's religion, Thelema. Now, it is important to note that Thelema had not been developed by this point. So Crowley said that at, at the time, you know, he had been unsure of what to do with the book of the law. Um, he often resented it. Um, he's, he ignored, he said he ignored the instructions which the text commanded him to perform, which included taking the steel of revealing that Egyptian steel at exhibit 666 from the museum, obtaining his own island and translating the book into the world's languages. Um, so this was way too much work for Crowley. Um, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to fucking do that. And according to his account, he instead sent the typescripts of the work to several occultists he knew and essentially shelved the manuscript. Um, you know, some say, I guess, like, think about like, you're trying to start your own religion. Um, uh, and I guess Crowley thought he wasn't big enough at the time to release this and gain any real followers. You know, he hadn't really developed that, uh, he hadn't developed the image that we know him as today. So, you know, he, I guess he just thought he wasn't big enough to release this thing. Um, so as we said, he fucking shelves it. Yeah, and I'm not going to listen to these gods. I'll just go ahead and put that <laughs> yeah. one on the shelf for a couple of years. Yeah, this god tells me to get my own island and translate this thing. Not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, and his whole thing is like, do whatever the fuck you want, bro. You want join my religion? You want to join? People are like, yeah, sure, I mean, yeah, why not? You know? Yeah, I guess he didn't want to translate this thing, so he just did what he wanted. Now, in 1906, his daughter also died of typhus. Um, and at this point, he fucking hates Rose, his wife. Um, and so he basically just tries to cut ties with her and he fucks off on he fucks off on his own path. Um, but I guess they like he did continue to support her. She continued to live with him. But he uh, he was up to here, guys. He was up to here with Rose. He fucking didn't like her, wasn't in love with her anymore. Um, so now we get into the period of, I guess, the AA, um, which is kind of Crowley's own version of the Golden Dawn. Um, so with his old mentor, George Cecil Jones, uh, Crowley continued once more to perform the Abramelin rituals. Picked it back up. Yeah, picks it back <laughs> up. And um, this was in Surrey or South London at some hotel or Ashton Park Hotel. I don't know if he had an apartment there or what. Um, now, Crowley claimed that in doing these rituals, he attained... Samadhi, uh, which in Buddhism is the last step of the Eightfold Path or union with the Godhead, thereby marking another turning point in his life. Uh, he also became a heavy user of hashish during these rituals. Uh, he wrote an essay titled The Psychology of Hashish in 1909, uh, which he praised the drug as an aid to mysticism. Um, he also claimed to have been contacted once again by AWAS in October and November of 1907, claiming that AWAS dictated two further texts to him, 
the Lieber is at eight or seven. S- the Lieber seven and Lieber Cordis Sin City Sin City Sepertine. Uh don't know how to pronounce that. Um but Serpente. Yeah. So the, uh, both of which were later classified as the holy Serpente. Okay. Uh, <laughs> both of these were later classified as the holy books of Thelema. Now Crowley would write down even more Thelemic holy books during the last two months of the year, including Liber 66, Liber Acronorium, Liber Porta Lucis Sub Figura X, Liber Tau, Liber Trigmatin, and Liber 813 Verarita. Now, again, he claimed to have received all of these writings from a supernatural source. Um, so that's eight altogether or nine? Eight, I believe. Eight, and then he also has the fucking Book of the Law, so nine in total. Um, now, by this time, Crowley's inheritance was running out. Burning uh, through that seven mil. <laughs> he's just burning. He's smoking through that seven mil. Um, so staying at the Great Pyramid probably took a big chunk of change. Yeah, traveling all over the world, climbing mountains, writing these fucking holy he's books. Like, oh yeah, let me just live yeah. in India for a while, then go to China and Hawaii. And- <laughs> yeah. So he tra- he's trying to earn money. Uh, he was hired by George Montague Bennett, the Earl of Tackernville, to help protect him hum- from witchcraft. This guy was deeply paranoid. He thought that his own mother was like using witchcraft against him. So he hires Crowley as his like protector. Um, and Crowley recognized this paranoia, uh, paranoia as being based in this guy's cocaine addiction. So he takes him on holiday to France and Morocco to recuperate. Now in 1907, he also began taking paying students whom he would instruct in occult and magical practice. And here enters the picture a one Victor Neuberg. Neuberg or Neuberg? Mm, I don't know. Not sure. Okay, Victor Neuberg, uh, who Crowley met in February of 1907. Now, this guy uh, became his closest disciple and his new butt buddy. So in 1908, the pair toured northern Spain before heading to Tangier, Morocco. Uh, the following year, Newberg stayed at Boleskin, uh, where he and Crowley would engage in magical studies by day and sadomasochism by night. Uh, so they were like doing BDSM type shit. They would like tie each other up, boof each other. Uh, I think most of the time Crowley made this guy boof him. Um, because Crowley was notoriously a bottom. Yeah, well, uh, just so much time on his hands. And he, he obviously had a kink <laughs> yeah. from the very beginning. Let's be honest. Exactly, yeah. Um, now, in November of 1907, Crowley and George Cecil Jones decide to found their own occult order to act as a successor to the Golden Dawn. Um, the result was the AA, and it's written as like A, little triangle symbol, A, little triangle symbol not to be confused with alcoholics anonymous <laughs> yeah not to be confused with alcoholics anonymous uh the group's headquarters anal anonymous maybe yeah probably <laughs> another <laughs> their headquarters and temple 
are located at 124 Victoria Street in central London. And their rites and rituals, basically, they took a bunch of stuff from the Golden Dawn and Crowley added his own Thelemic basis. And this group did start to gain a fair amount of members. Um, now, in 1909, Crowley also read The Magician, which was a fiction book by Somerset Malm. Malgum? Malm. Yeah, Somerset Malm. Uh, who he had actually met some years previous and was immediately pissed off um, as he claimed the book was clearly based on him. Uh, Now, from here, Crowley went to Vanity Fair and claimed that this was plagiarism and he had his buddy write up an article. And this whole spiel kind of helped Crowley in developing the AA because he was like, hey, this isn't what I do. uh, I want to start my own order, kind of get the good word of my religion out there. Um, now he stated that in June of 1909, so publicity stunt just to gain followers. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's in vanity fair saying, Hey, this is fucking slander or libel. You know, this is bullshit. I didn't realize that vanity fair was that old shit. Oh yeah, dude. See the tabloids and like magazines of the time. I mean, think about it. That's people's entertainment. And Crowley was huge in the, into this stuff. This kind of helped him like develop, his notoriety, I guess, or, or infamism. Yeah, it's like he, he was like the first uh, mass social media marketer before social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now, Crowley stated in June of 1909, he had rediscovered his shelved manuscript, The Book of the Law. Uh, he found it while going through his stuff at Beleskin. Um, when he wasn't getting boofed. <laughs> yeah, and he developed the opinion that Thelema represented objective truth. Now, note again, Thelema still hasn't been developed by this point, but with the development of the AA, it was in its infancy. Um, so he's, he's trying to like kind of hash these ideas out. Uh, now, in March of that same year, he began production of a biannual periodical titled The Equinox. He billed this as um, the official organ of the AA, and this was, quote, the review of scientific illuminism. Now, also by this time, Crowley had become increasingly frustrated with Rose's alcoholism because, uh, like we said, she was still living with him. And I, he would apparently bring his like mistresses, his butt buddies back, and they would do sex magic all in the house, BDSM type shit, while Rose was still in the house. Rose even said in one of the documentaries I was watching that he would hang her from her ankles in the closet while he was doing this fucking sex magic shit. You're not going anywhere, Rose. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> you can watch me from the closet. So this is, I think you would shut the door. Dude, Crow- Crowley kind of sounds like an asshole, man. And did, was she like still in love with him at the time? Or was she like, ah, whatever, you know, this, this is annoying. I don't know. But- I mean, I guess she just thought, hell, this guy's a fucking millionaire. Um, I can just still, I can just fucking live at this house and drink. Um, just yeah, she became an alcoholic. By all his friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now, in November of 1909, he divorced her on grounds of his own adultery. Uh, Rose agreed to Jesus. this, but she continued to live at Boleskine. Um, But as her alcohol alcoholism worsened, uh, she was eventually institutionalized in September 1911, uh, where she stayed for the rest of her life. Um, so, November 1909, uh, Crowley and uh, Newberg, they traveled to Algeria touring the desert from El Arba to 
Omale, and then to Dale Aden. Uh, these are all just, I guess, like Muslim villager towns in Algeria. Uh, and Crowley would recite the Quran on a daily basis. They would just kind of wander around the fucking deserts of North Africa, I guess. Um, now, during this trip, they practiced Enochian magic rituals in order to invoke the 30 aethers of spiritual being, with Newberg recording the results. Uh, this was later published in the Equinox as The Vision and the Voice. Now, on this trip, Crowley again wore his turban, and he shaved Newberg's head and walked him around on a leash through the Muslim villages to instill, instill fear in all of the locals. Uh, they would also engage in a ritual uh, titled the Rite of Pan, involving a mountaintop sex magic ritual where Newberg engaged in the active role. What does uh, that mean? So that means he's fucking Crowley in the ass on this mountaintop. <laughs> now, now during, during this ritual, Crowley also invoked the demon Choronzon with a blood sacrifice and considered the results to be a landmark in his magical career. Uh, so apparently, I was looking more into this ritual. They drew a triangle in the sand and they slit the throat of, uh, of a pigeon and placed one at each corner of the triangle. Crowley then entered the triangle alongside uh, Newberg in order to be possessed by the demon. And I think they would also do this sex magic in the triangle. And Newberg said that this was the most terrified he'd been in his entire life. Well, you're getting dragged through the desert on a leash <laughs> by some guy who shaved your head and is making you fuck him in the ass on top of a mountain. That sounds pretty <laughs> Demons, yeah. like slitting pigeons' throats. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he crazy, said man. that they... He said, I guess, in this ritual, like, it should have just been Newberg in the center, try, like, writing down what he saw. But Crowley went in, wanted to be possessed by this demon. They saw the demon. It, like, held Newberg down and tried to kill him. They fended it off. Uh, fucking crazy ritual. Look into it. Now, Now they, they were like, hey, bud, let's go home, all right? Yeah, January 1910, they returned back to London. Uh, and Crowley found that Mathers was suing him for publishing the Golden Dawn secrets in the Equinox. Uh, but the courts ruled in favor of Crowley. Um, the case was widely reported in the press. And this, again, this helped all these court cases that he's going to just further helped Crowley gain this widespread notoriety he was looking for. Now, Crowley enjoyed this. Um, he played up to this like sensationalist stereotype of being a Satanist and advocate of human sacrifice, although he was neither. Um, because it's like we said, you know, most of these guys, like you look at these golden dawn guys that were pissed off at Crowley. Most of these guys just wanted to remain secret. You know, they thought this was like esoteric knowledge. They wanted to keep this stuff private and Crowley wanted the exact opposite. He wanted like notoriety for being a famous ritual magician. Um, so this is this is exactly what the fuck he wanted. Now, from here, he decides to expand his teachings to a wider audience. Uh, he developed the Rite of Artemis, which was a public performance of magic and symbolism featuring AA members personifying various deities. 
Uh, this was first performed at the AA headquarters with attendees given a fruit punch containing peyote to enhance their experience. This guy just Jim Jones ask here. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This guy's just doing whatever the hell he wants. Like just, all right, I'm going to, he's really doing what thou wilt. He's doing what thou wilt, dude. That's dude. the whole of the law. Yeah. And like, that's this crazy. Is, I don't know. It's like you're saying this is like Manson shit. You know how Manson would like take a small amount of LSD and then he would give his followers LSD to kind of like loosen them. Yeah, up. so we could control or I guess them, get them to believe what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, kind of the same type of shit. Um, now October and November of 1910, Crowley wants to do this same thing, but he wants to charge admission for a wider audience. So he develops the rights of Eleusis at Caxton Hall, Westminster. Uh, now, this time, uh, the press is, like, reviewing this shit, and he came under criticism from an editor of the Looking Glass newspaper who called him, quote, one of the most blasphemous and cold-blooded villains of modern times. Um, the article suggested that Crowley and Jones were involved in homosexual activity, now, Crowley didn't really care about this, but Jones sued the paper for libel, but was unsuccessful based on Crowley's wicked reputation. Um, this led to a majority of the AA followers breaking off their involvement with Crowley over the scandal, and Crowley and Newberg returned to Algeria for further magical workings. But he was so excited. <laughs> yeah, now, now, from here, Crowley breaks off completely from the AA, uh, and in 1911 in Paris, Crowley met Mary Desty, who became his next Scarlet Woman, as Rose was his first. Now, with the two, so from here, he, he meets Mary. Um, they start doing magical workings, and Crowley believed that one of the secret chiefs, Abuldiz, was speaking through her. Now, based on Desty's statements, when in a trance, Crowley wrote, his two-volume magnum opus, which was known as Book Four. And at this time, he developed the spelling magic with a K on the end. And this was sort of like a, a callback to an older spelling of the word. And this helped like distinguish the paranormal phenomenon from the stage magicians and illusionists at the time. Uh, because, you know, he's like, this shit's got... This shit can't be... It's got to be different from David Blaine, Chris Angel, or I guess Houdini was a famous magician back then. So he wanted to distinguish it, so he gave it the different spelling. He said, hey, we're not pulling rabbits out of a hat here, all right? Yeah, we're not pulling rabbits out of a hat. We're uh, sticking dicks in butts. Now, I did read that he... the One of the reasons for the changing was um, a lot of his magic rituals involved hexagons. And magic with that spelling has six letters, so that was one of the reasonings and behind doing that. Yeah, probably. I mean, he was also like obsessed with triangles. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm sure that like you love know, triangles. Yeah, numerology that type of shit played into that. So in early 1912, uh, Crowley published the Book of Lies. Uh, this was a work of mysticism that biographer Lawrence Sutton described as. His greatest success in merging his talents as a poet, scholar, and magus. Um, now, German occultist Theodore Roos 
later accused Crowley of publishing some of the secrets of his own occult order, the OTO, or Ordi, Ori, Ordio Templi Orientis, uh, in this book. Now, Crowley was able to convince Roos that the similarities were coincidental, and the two developed a friendship. Uh, now, Roos appointed Crowley as head of the OTO's British branch, and at the ceremony in Berlin, Crowley adopted the magical name of Baphomet and was proclaimed ex-Supreme Rex and Sovereign Grandmaster General of Ireland, Iona, and all the Britons. That was his name? Uh, well, Baphomet was his name. <laughs> and I guess like this was his fucking sub name or whatever. Uh, or his title. Ex-Supreme Rex. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, now, with Roos's permission... Um, Crowley set about advertising and rewriting many OTO rituals, which were then based largely on Freemasonry. Um, now, Crowley's incorporate, co- incorporated uh, Thelemite elements, and this proved controversial within the group. Uh, now, Crowley was fascinated by the OTO's emphasis on sex magic, of course, and Crowley devised magical workings based on anal sex and incorporated into the incorporated these into the syllabus for OTO members who had been initiated into the eleventh degree. Yikes! Uh, so Crowley basically, from this point, uses his leadership in the OTO to spread the word of Thelema. Uh, you know, he develops more writing and rituals like the Hymn to Pan, and his most famous being the Gnostic Mass. Uh, now, this led him to develop more and more sex magic rituals. As we said, the OTO was also heavy onto this. And I will play. This is a little excerpt of Crowley reciting the Gnostic Mass. Uh, I will play that clip here for you guys to just kind of get a a sense of Crowley's voice and, and what this type of shit was all about. Oh, now one of these rituals he developed um was known as the supreme rite uh now he said the goal of this was to bring about a climax in the death of a victim so basically you would find a willing victim which you would kill at the time of climax. And after violating the corpse, you cut them into nine pieces with the names of gods written on each piece. And then you would burn the head. Now, he said this was only to be performed rarely and to a great purpose. Uh, Now, this was categorized as black magic and was never really discussed again. Um, so yeah, that's, 
that's what fucking rituals. Now I don't know if he ever did this. Was you that know? just a cover up? Like he killed a guy while he was boofing him? No, I don't think so. <laughs> he, like, I think choked him on accident, and he was like, "Well, you see, it's a ritual." I think again, this was more of him trying to develop this fucking persona of being this like fucking maniac, you know? Because I don't think he ever practiced this. He, it said he kind of discussed this with Newberg. Well, I'm sure he's not writing it down if he killed a guy. Well, no, he wrote <laughs> this as a supreme as the supreme right. Um, but I, again, I don't know if he ever actually did this. Um, now, eventually, Neuberg parted ways with Alistair, uh, leading Alistair to put a curse on him. And Neuberg said he lived the rest of his life in fear. Um, so that brings us up to 1914. Now, 1914, World War One breaks out, and Alistair did claim that World War One broke out due to his wor- his magical workings in Paris. Um, so from here, he fucks off to America. He goes to New York and started really running low on funds. Um, but he did find that his reputation had traveled across the pond, which he, of course, loved. Now, in America, he also found work for a German propaganda publication where he helped to disseminate anti-British publications. Uh, he also traveled all around America doing sex magic, um, Seattle, San Francisco, Santa Cruz, Los Angeles, San Diego, Tijuana, the Grand Canyon, and his favorite uh, American city, he said, was New Orleans. Mm, still haven't been there. <laughs> yeah. So now, while in America, he managed to meet two more love interests, one of whom he got pregnant and she later miscarried. Um, now, in addition to those two women, he met Rhodey Minor, um, who became his partner and next Scarlet Woman. And through their rituals, which be- became known as the Amalanthra workings, uh, he believed they were contacted by a supernatural entity named Lamb, who we've discussed at length in our Jack Parsons series. Episodes number 44 and 45 again, if you want to check those out. And here is a picture of Lamb that he drew. Now, some speculate this could have been Crowley contacting one of the greys, uh, the popular alien race. We also discussed this at length in our greys episode. Now, what year was this? Do we know? Um, so this was in 1914, I guess, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, so yeah, a lot of people know the similarities to the classic fucking alien. They think this could be possibly Crowley contacting, had contact with some aliens, dude. And um, this drawing of Lamb is available in sticker form on our website. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, now, from here, he took Leah Hersing as his next lover and next Scarlet Woman. And he's just running through hoes. Yeah, there is a picture of her there. Uh, you know, not that bad for, for this time, for old Alistair, right? Not bad at all. Actually, not bad. Yes, now him and Leah, they fuck off back to London. And at this point, he's destitute. You know, he's, he's run out of funds. Um, he's in London. He comes attack. Un- he comes under attack from the tabloid John Bull magazine, uh, which labeled him as traitorous scum for his work with the German war effort. Um, and when he was suffering from asthma during this time period, a doctor prescribed him heroin 
um, to which he soon became addicted. Jesus. And basically, this is like the start of his downfall, as it always is. You know, he struggled with heroin addiction on and off for the rest of his life. Um, now, at this point in his life, Crowley had ideas of forming a community of Thelemites, um, which he called the Abbey of Thelema. Now, this abbey was founded in Sicily in 1920. Um, and here they would wear robes and perform rituals to the sun god Ra during the day and occasionally perform the Gnostic mass. Uh, the rest of the day, they were left uh, to follow their own interests. Now, here is a picture of him at the abbey doing the Gnostic mass ritual. Probably doing some more boofing. Oh, a lot of boofing, dude. He offered a libertine education for the children, allowing them to play all day and witness acts of sex magic. Um, (laughs) So at this point, his heroin addiction uh, was dominating his life and and cocaine began to erode his nasal cavity. Uh, Now, Crowley and Leah also had a daughter who also died of an illness at a young age, just like his other daughter. Damn. Um, and this is where his reputation really starts to fucking get creepy and ominous because he has this fucking commune. They're out there doing sex magic, doing fucking rituals, praying to the sun god. Now, there was two young Thelemites that came to live at the Abbey. Uh, Raul Loveday... And his wife, Betty May, they moved there uh, to follow Alistair's teachings. Now, Loveday was devoted to Crowley and uh, Betty May, she despised him and the lifestyle at the commune. Now, uh, May later said that Loveday was made to drink the blood of a sacrificed cat and they were required to cut themselves with razor blades every time they used the pronoun I. Um, now Loveday also drank from a local polluted stream, which caused a liver infection resulting in his death in February of 1923. And Betty May moved back to London and she brought this story to the press. Now that tabloid John Bull, we talked about the tabloid, the John Bull magazine. This is where they proclaimed Crowley as the wickedest man in the world. And a man whom we'd like to hang. Now, although like Crowley denied a lot of these accusations against him, uh, but he, w- as we said, he was running out of funds and he was unable to afford the legal fees to sue them. Um, so as a result, this magazine continues its attack on Crowley. Um, they're putting all these fucking stories in there. These stories are picked up by various newspapers throughout Europe and North America And eventually, the fascist government of Benito Mussolini learned of these activities at the Abbey of Thelema. And in April of 1923, he was given a deportation notice forcing him to leave Italy. So this guy is too fucking evil for Benito Mussolini. <laughs> He's like, get out Mussolini, of here. Mussolini's like, dude, this shit's fucked up, bro. Yeah, Mussolini's like, get out of Italy. <laughs> He's like, look, Allora. You're doing some messed up stuff and everyone's talking about it. So um yeah, get the fuck out. Yeah, so so again, this is playing into his reputation. Now back in London once more, his finances are at an all-time low. Um, and as we said, I feel like 
as I was reading his biography and watching these documentaries about him, they keep talking about his finances like becoming low and low. We got to remember, so he had the inheritance from his father. His mother also died when he was in like his 40s, I think. And he went through her inheritance and then the inheritance of three more aunts. Um, so, you yeah. know, this guy just like keep getting money. He's also getting money from his followers. Like, he What is would, he doing with all this money? He's fucking getting male prostitutes and doing fucking heroin and cocaine and every fucking drug under the sun. He's just like- Seven million dollars worth? Dude, think about that's from the time he was like 15 to now. That's insane. Um, now, here, there is a picture of him during this time. Uh, so from here, he just kind of, this is like his, uh, what do you, his years in exile, he called them. He kind of wanders around between London, North Africa, and France. He's completely strung out, addicted to heroin. Um, his reputation as the wickedest man had spread worldwide. Uh, this followed him wherever he went. Uh, in 1924, he's basically living penniless in Paris and he's still doing rituals with a small group of people. Uh, now, this I thought very fucking interesting, guys. Most notably, one of those people was Pauline Pierce. Uh, so there, it's like Pauline Pierce is a small other group of people. They're doing all kinds of fucking sex magic rituals. And Pauline Pierce returned to America. And nearly nine months after her rituals with Crowley, she gave birth to a girl named Barbara Pierce who would go on to marry George H.W. Bush, the 41st president, and she gave birth to George W. Bush. Now, one of the documentaries I was watching posits that could Aleister Crowley be George W. Bush's true grandfather? That's fucking crazy. I mean, that's a fucking crazy that connection, is wild, right? They, they look kind of the same. Honestly. Yeah, there's this. Uh, I'll put this website I found in the in the description of this episode. There's a website that compares, um, like, this compares uh, Barbara's daughter, um, or no, Pauline's daughter, Barbara, Barbara Bush. It compares her to, like, she looks definitely more similar to Crowley than her supposed father. And it's like, you know, <laughs> this is a fucking crazy Jesus bloodline Christ. if if we're if we're believing that this is true, which it very well could be. Well, it all makes sense, um, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. Fucking the Bush family connected to Crowley doing these fucking crazy rituals. The, now the probability of that's pretty high, I'd say. Oh yeah, very fucking high, dude. If if they're doing a fucking twenty three and me. They're probably going to find out that Crowley is the true grandfather. They would never do that. They'd never broadcast that <laughs> yeah. to the media. Uh, now, from here, Crowley was appointed head of the OTO. And bada bing, he's fucking right back in the swing of things. So he was penniless. Uh, he's appointed the head of the OTO. He starts getting some funding. He publishes magic in theory and practice. And just like that, he's got more funding, allowing him to keep on peddling his bullshit uh, he basically would find followers to fund his lifestyle. Uh, like essentially, he would just find these rich followers. He was charismatic as getting them to buy him heroin. Not only that, like he would just take their life savings and be like, uh, you know, I'll teach you all this magic shit and then just fucking Dude. spend their life savings. He's like the this ultimate hustler, crazy. man. This guy's like exactly just now, going in. or he's the ultimate magician. 
He's out here or, getting, gaining wealth through his magical practice. Maybe, yeah. Maybe he's like a wizard. Magic with a K. Yeah. Now, now World War II breaks out by this point, and there's all types of Crowley myths surrounding World War II. Uh, he claimed that he had, uh, he claimed that he had sent Adolf Hitler a copy of the Book of the Law, which inspired him to write Mein Kampf. Um, he also said that he gave the Nazis the idea for the swastika. Um, he also claimed that he knew Winston Churchill and that V for victory symbol was from Crowley. Um, now all of this is fucking obviously hearsay from Crowley himself. Um, and it's Crowley trying to like, you remember how we talked about the Jack the Ripper story with the parlor maid, the world war one stuff he said was because of his rituals. Yeah. Like this is just Crowley trying to insert himself into like major events in human history. You know, he's like, he's like Forrest. He's trying to be like Forrest Gump. The dude was you know? obviously super confident and probably like some crazy sociopath or something, honestly. Or he was a wizard, probably, or a wizard. <laughs> you know, one yeah, of the I two. Think he, Maybe both. He, he was like Forrest Gump, dude. They need to make a movie about Crowley, which is like. It's just Crowley and all these historical events like fucking Forrest Gump. Yeah, he's like, life is like a needle of heroin. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, now, at this point, um, this is really Crowley's like later years. Um, Jack Parsons had taken over as the head of the OTO California branch, um, and he was supposed to be like Crowley's protege. Um, but as we saw in our series on Jack Parsons, his antics with L. Ron Hubbard led to his downfall. Uh, so we won't get into that here. Just check those episodes out. Um, now that brings us to the 1st of December, 1947, where at the age of 72, Crowley uttered the words, I am perplexed. And then he died. Now Crowley's death was attributed to chronic bronchitis aggravated by pleurisy which is like inflammation of the lungs um his funeral was held at brighton crematorium on the 5th of december with about a dozen people in attendance and excerpts from the gnostic mass the book of the law and hymn to pan were read uh the funeral also generated press controversy as it was labeled a black mass by the tabloids crowley's body was cremated his ashes were sent to Carl Germer in the U.S., which was Crowley's successor for the OTO. Uh, now, he buried them in his garden in Hampton, New Jersey. So that is the final resting place of Aleister Crowley. Allegedly. And also allegedly, the doctor who treated him died within 24 hours of Crowley's death, supposedly due to a curse the magician had cast on him. That's fucked up. So there we go. That is the gentleman's life. Um, the gentleman. Is, is there anything we wanted to discuss before we get into some of his like beliefs and legacy type shit? I mean, I mean, Billy, I think it's kind of like you were saying, this was just a fucking, he was just like a rich kid who was a fucking asshole that understood the idea of like self-image. He was like, he was like the fucking Kardashians, dude. Exactly. Like he he was he was like an entertainer or something. He was also, I mean, in the late 1800s, he basically basically said like 
I'm going to do my own thing. Like I'm not going to do the Christianity thing. I'm going to, I'm just going to, Oh, you know, I think I might be gay. I'm bi. And then, you know, I'm just going to do what I want. Oh, and then here, here are all these drugs and Oh, all these different religions that he would like, you know, get into and like take inspiration from. But I mean, at the end of the day, like he just did whatever he wanted. Yeah. With a lot. He just had like limitless money too. So he was able to do it. Exactly. And that's really like the, I think the biggest takeaway is that just like, yeah, when you're that rich, you have the ability to just fucking like kind of do whatever you want, develop this name for yourself. Yeah, I guarantee if he had like a nine to five Monday through Friday, like desk job or something, he'd be like, man, (laughs) yeah, he'd be like, man, maybe Africa tomorrow isn't the best idea. Like, I can't do my sex magic. (laughs) No, ain't no sex tonight for me. Uh, I have to be at the office tomorrow. Oh, I just wanted to say in regards to um, his ashes being sent to New Jersey to and getting buried, mm-hmm. I came across this article on Reddit. So who knows how true what was on there actually is. But yeah, allegedly, um, before he passed away, he said that his ashes were supposed to be like passed down to each successor. Like So that guy was supposed to keep them and then pass them on so that they could continue doing like these rituals with his His presence there okay and um basically like people came to like visit him and like oh we heard his ashes are here and he was like oh i buried those out in this tree out back one day and a lot of people like are very skeptical of that saying that like oh maybe this guy just like bullshitted that to so like people would stop coming to visit him so he could like actually keep them in secrecy and like keep passing them on so okay interesting there's no actual documentation it's just going off that guy's word that he buried them and then there was like another story that he left one day and his girlfriend or like fiance at the time had some voice tell her that she needed to go scatter them in the woods, which like really pissed him off. But it's like really kind of one of those no one knows type situations. Cause it's like, he's like Osama bin Laden. Well, he like easily could have just lied about burying them so that people just fuck off. Yeah. And, so, and it's like, nobody knows. Yeah. Uh, so it can't become like a fucking shrine or like a, like, a, um, what do you call it? Like a pilgrimage to go to his grave you know well apparently people still visit that house that that guy owned in new jersey but it's like no um there's no real final resting place that's known of for him which is kind of interesting and it is alleged that that gentleman's house was the house used in the hit reality show the jersey shore (laughs) Oh, damn. It's <laughs> a different part of New Jersey. Yeah, I know. Um, okay, so let's get into his beliefs, you know, because like with his belief in Thelema and this whole like new aeon, uh, as we said up top, you know, Crowley believed the 20th century marked humanity's entry into the aeon of Horus. Now, what exactly is that, you may ask? I'm wondering myself what it is. Yeah, so this would be the new era in which humans would take increasing control of their destiny. Uh, He believed that the Lima was the proper religion of the Aeon of Horus, 
and deemed himself to be the prophet of this aeon. Now, first, the first aeon being way back uh, with the aeon of Isis. Um, this was like maternalistic and dominated by goddess worship and paganism. Then the second aeon was the aeon of Osiris. Um, and now this was when kids wore D3 Osiris's in school. <laughs> so this was this was the age in which religions like Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and Buddhism dominated the world. And now we are currently in the Aeon of Horus. Um, so with Thelema, if we look at the philosophy, I guess, it revolves around the idea that human beings each have their own true will um, and they should discover... Uh, and pursue this true will. And this is the single greatest pursuit in life to discover and kind of go after that. So it's kind of like those, uh, you know, those like stupid sayings about like finding your passion, all those fucking like motivational Instagram <laughs> yeah, quotes. Stupid. Why find your passion? Yeah. That's like, you can thank Alistair Crowley for that. Uh, <laughs> He's like, chase <laughs> your passions. Up. Like just yeah, spend, essentially, all, spend all that your is money. Kind of, that you don't have. Yeah, get to chase inherent $7 million exactly. and, uh, and exactly. you can chase your passions. Yeah, like be like me, you know? <laughs> yeah, now this true will, I guess, also exists in harmony with the cosmic will that pervades the universe. Uh, so I think like this is more along the lines of like destiny, uh, or I guess that we don't have free will. Um, and again, this is literally like the line from Forrest Gump. You know, when he asked Jenny, like, do you think everything happens for a reason or we're floating along accidental? Yeah. Like a feather? Yeah. I think that's like what Crowley was saying. Like there is, there is, you do have a destiny, but you need to like find your true will. I it's guess. like, I don't, I don't really understand. It's kind of like predestination where like you pick and choose your path, but like a uh, um, Calvinist. But you have a destiny set out for right. Yeah. Well, Calvinists it's believe bullshit, that dude. like there are certain specific sect of Christians, just Calvinists, that um, you know are accepted into heaven. Like basically have a spot in heaven for them, and they're like the chosen ones, and it's everything is predetermined. Okay. Yeah. But but see, that's like bullshit. Like obviously we. I would like to believe that we have free will. Our paths aren't determined for us. It's not this fucking God's plan bullshit like Drake is singing about. Right. And, and <laughs> oh my God. Such a good song. Um <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, dude. Drake Drake's dope. Don't hate on Drake. Shout out. Okay, but do you do you think that God does have a plan for us all, or is it more free will? What do you guys think? I don't really First off, I'm 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 uh what do you call it agnostic. So I used to be Christian. I you know, I respect the beliefs of Christ Christianity and whatnot. And I think it's a good moral code to live by, but do I think that Jesus Christ was our Lord and Savior? I mean I, I do take into account science and whatnot, so I don't know. I, I I don't know what what we are, I don't know what the universe is. I think that there could be a natural explana explanation to it. And I think Crowley's work in many senses was just a different version of that. It was like a conglomeration of a bunch of different religions and like, you know, theories and okay. and concepts just, and then like, Oh, well you can do whatever you want, but it's still the same. He, he basically would just create and come up with all this stuff and just convince people that 
it was a legitimate thing. In a sense, it's no different than other religions. Okay. Um, now, obviously, as we saw, uh, sexuality played an important role in Crowley's ideas about magic and his practice of it. Uh, and this became a central idea to Thelema. Now, he outlined three forms of sex magic, the autoerotic, the homosexual, and the heterosexual. And he argued that such acts could be used to force the magician's will onto specific goal, such as financial gain or personal creative success. Uh, now, for Crowley, sex was seen as a sacrament with the consumption of sexual fluids interpreted as a Eucharist. So this is like communion in uh, Christianity. Uh, now, this was manifested as the cakes of light, uh, which was a biscuit containing either menstrual blood or a mixture of semen and vaginal fluids. Uh, and this was part of the Gnostic Mass, which is a central religious ceremony within Thelema. Uh, so he's out there making limp biscuits, you know. Uh, oh <laughs> they're jerking God, off on cookies. Uh, no, okay. I, I was also reading different stuff into this because one thing I saw was that these cakes weren't meant to be eaten by the people, but they would attract this like rare type of beetle, and then the people would eat those beetles. Um, but I don't know how true that is. I did find other things saying that these cakes of light were administered during the Gnostic Mass, and you were supposed to consume them. To help, like, aid in your magician's will or whatever, you know. I'd, either way, it's it's crazy. Now, is that any more crazier than eating the body of Christ and drinking His blood? Yeah, no one's busting a load <laughs> on a cookie and making you eat it at church. But you're eating another guy's flesh and and drinking his blood, dude. It's symbolism. It's not actually like <laughs> fucking dipping <laughs> a cookie in someone's badge and then well, now, busting now, a now, load now, on here's it and where, eating so it. So maybe it it became oh. symbolism. You give Thelema enough time, and these cakes of light would be replaced by something else. But early Christianity. Maybe they were literally doing this stuff. Who knows? That's all I'm saying. Well, all I know is the Catholic faith believe that when you take communion, they call it the transfiguration when you eat the, the body of Christ. They believe that it like physically morphs into part of Jesus's physical body when you eat it. Yeah. So they yeah, it's right up there with e that's cannibalism, dude. I I guess. Technically, but you know, <laughs> I'll um, take a uh, communion cracker over a cake of light any day. All right, what about the actual body and blood of Jesus, though? No, thanks. You're taking a cake of light instead, a limp biscuit? Neither one for <laughs> me. <laughs> All right, now, now this is just like you were saying, uh, Billy Crowley's his thoughts and ideas were not always cohesive. Um, you know, as we saw throughout his life, he was influenced by a wide variety of sources uh, from Eastern religious movements and practices like Hindu yoga, Buddhism, um, scientific naturalism, and numerous ideas from Western esotericism like ceremonial magic, alchemy, astrology, Rosicrucianism, Kabbalah, and the tarot. Uh, and I guess he did like develop a like he did contribute a fair amount to like tarot readings and all that type of shit i know rob's like real big into this did you have anything on like 
Crowley's contributions to the tarot? Or have you ever used a Crowley deck? I have not used a Crowley deck, but um, I'm assuming this is, he died in 47, correct? Yes. So like in the years before his death, he actually created his own tarot deck, which uh, he had um, Lady Harris, which I didn't do too much um, digging on her, but he basically like he basically gave her the outline for what he wanted, but he didn't want it to be like too crazy. He based it on uh, the Book of Thoth for okay, yeah. for his uh, tarot deck, and he had this lady create the vision that he had for it. And can I pause for a second, just for sure. some people that might not know tarot decks? Those are essentially like seeing your what like future in like these random deck drawings or i guess like exp- explain that for people who might not know what tarot is um usually they're meant for like um seeing the future or helping you find clarity on like a certain subject like say like your you're destiny. like you're going through like uh a tough time with whether it's like mentally relationship wise job wise you can kind of use the tarot deck to kind of help you like guide you through to where you're supposed to go kind of okay okay so yeah essentially like seeing the future of like what your destiny should be is a good way to look at it and helping you make like the right choices that kind of thing yeah and i didn't i didn't know too much about it until i was actually like gifted a tarot deck a couple years ago and i started kind of getting into it and doing like readings for my friends I actually was thinking it might be cool to do a tarot reading for you guys on an upcoming episode if you guys are into that. Yeah, Rob forgot his tarot deck today. He was supposed to do it today. Uh, Maybe we get you a Crowley deck and you can do us a Crowley reading. Well, I was looking through like basically so he did this deck and he gave the lady like a bunch of his writings for inspiration. Basically, she was like, I couldn't really understand any of what this guy was writing. (laughs) And I kind of just like did what I thought was right based off his readings. And they came up with a deck together. It's interesting to note, though, as we're talking about how Crowley had like um, played a part in modern day like culture and through music, through artists through different theologists um when i was doing my research into the deck of cards that he created um someone had like a deck of his cards i think it was the beatles maybe okay but uh or no 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 sorry the this is like another mind fuck the guy that was directing a James Bond movie had this deck of cards and he, he was like really into Salvador Dali's work. And he actually like got in contact with Salvador Dali and had inspired him to create his own tarot deck based off of his artwork. But that's badass. Like come to find out Salvador Dali was actually super into Aleister Crowley's work. And then, um, he was also he also lists like Crowley was an influence for him. The Beatles were an influence for some of his artworks because like they both were 
in the sixties experimenting with hallucinogens Mm -hmm. and, uh, lots of drugs, lots of sex. And then what's another crazy thing that I didn't actually put in the outline. So the Beatles were definitely like it or not influenced by Aleister Crowley. They, he actually appears on the Sergeant Pepper album art for Sergeant Pepper's lonely hearts club band. Some people theorize that Sergeant Pepper is actually Aleister Crowley. They just didn't want to like come out and say it because the Beatles were like such a sensation and Britain had hated Aleister Crowley for so long. They didn't want it to be like synonymous. So they kind of made that album as like a A tribute to him, but like not coming out and saying it. Yeah. But another interesting fact is one of his poetry books in the early 1900s was actually titled the winged beetle and paul mccartney was like an avid like reader of crowley's works and you get the beatles and then his later band is called the wings the winged beetle okay a lot of people refer to paul mccartney as the winged beetle now so i don't know it's like some pretty interesting uh tie-ins there with pop culture Yeah, pretty interesting connections. And also the Dolly shit was interesting because um, I can't remember. It might have been last podcast on the left. They, I think in their Crowley episode, they compared him to Salvador Dolly. Because you know how Dolly kind of built up this image of like just being this fucking weird, crazy guy. And like, it's almost like his persona was bigger than his art. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And Crowley's same way. Like... He would do this magic rituals. He fucking contributed to like tarot and like ceremonial magic and all these fucking uh, esoteric orders. But his persona like eclipsed that. Like it became bigger than whatever he was doing because so many people know Aleister Crowley, like the image of him, but probably aren't going to dive into like the fucking hermetic order of the Golden Dawn or Kabbalah revealed, you know? Um, so it's almost like he kind of became bigger than than his fucking art. Um, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting that you had that in there and that Dolly was himself like influenced by Crowley. Sounds like artists in general would, you know, just be in, inspired by Crowley. I don't know. Just kind of like, it's like and a su- free spirit. Uh, successful. Successful it, artists. So yeah. maybe, Bill, with your new uh, musical project, you started... Um, getting some Crowley inspiration in there. You guys are going to fucking take off, dude. Oh, man. I don't know. I guess we're, we're too, like, pop <laughs> 80s for that. I don't know. Oh, dude. You if the Beatles it. can do it, you can do yeah. it. Oh, yeah, dude, true. Come on. We, yeah, the Beatles did. They're we'll, pretty We'll pop. just follow suit. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> okay. Guys are the next Beatles. <laughs> now, uh, now, following suit with all this stuff we talked about and kind of him, like, merging all these, like, beliefs and stuff... Um, it is interesting that like Crowley studied so many beliefs and practices um, that he adopted the idea that there was a fundamental resemblance between Western and Eastern spiritual systems, um, which I th- like we've talked about on previous episodes. Um, it's kind of similar to the whole like blind men elephant theory. You guys ever heard of this? Mm, no. Sounds familiar, but I can't really... uh... Yeah, this was like... um, So this is like, I guess, a proverb or... or, um, It's it's just like a story, a parable. 
if you will. Um, mm. It's like these three three blind men um, go up to an elephant, and like this is like a, par- a parable, uh, a metaphor for like religion. Um, so you look at like the different religions. You got Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism. Um, you know, so three blind men go up to this elephant. They touch the elephant, and then each one goes back to their tribe and describes what an elephant is. Now, one guy touched the leg, so he describes it as that. The other touched, like, the back of the elephant, the tail. He describes it as that. One guy touches the trunk, describes it as that. Each one of these develops their own idea of an elephant. This is, like, so that's their understanding of it when in reality it's it's much different than that it's a whole thing so it's like with crowley he's saying there's a resemblance between these religions but maybe it's just that we don't have the whole picture because obviously like how if a supernatural entity contacted you and was speaking to you how much of that could you truly grasp um and that's possibly the the reason for how these religions develop differently but all claiming to be from like a supernatural source. Does that make sense? Or do you guys grasp that at all? I I do. But I think, I mean, obviously he used a lot of psychedelic drugs and stuff. And I have heard before that, you know, there are many instances where people on psychedelics can have out-of-body experiences, complete hallucinations, um, and in some cases, some people believe that, uh, you can actually cross into like a, another, like multiverse or another dimension, a parallel dimension for a second and witness these, you know, speak to gods, uh, you know, f- right. for example, like Crowley said. So like when, when you take all that into account, it's like, he may have experienced some of these things, like he may have thought they're happening, but if you're tripping on ayahuasca, <laughs> You're probably going to be talking to a lot more gods than if you were just like sober and heroin, yeah. LSD. Well, but also, even looking at it from that perspective, you could say Crowley was like super ahead of his time because only now are they like legalizing shit like fucking mushrooms for treating um, like PTSD, PTSD, that type of shit, like teaching right. you how to like rethink or like recreate memories. And it's like if Crowley was doing this shit back in the fucking 1900s. Um, this is a guy that's super ahead of his time. He definitely, yeah. I mean, he, he paved the way for this type of like freeing of the mind thinking that is now like very prevalent. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's wild. I don't necessarily think that he was talking to gods, but that's just me. Okay. Now, now Crowley also truly believed in the objective existence of magic. Um, now he defined magic as quote, the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. Uh, so Crowley is like um, Sean Connery. Yeah, old British guy. <laughs> okay, now, now Crowley. <laughs> now Crowley. This is also interesting. Uh, the stuff we were just talking about. Like Crowley saw magic as a sort of link between religion and science. Um, Now, as we saw with his publication, The Equinox, he subtitled it The Method of Science, The Aim of Religion. Now, in the publication, he expressed positive sentiments towards science and the scientific method, and he urged magicians to keep detailed records of their magical experiences, saying, quote, The more scientific the record is, the better. Um, So... 
hear like his understanding of magic was also influenced by the work of anthropologist James Frazier. Uh, this guy wrote The Golden Bough, which was like a study of comparative religions. Um, and he, this guy was super influential in the early stages of modern studies, uh, mythology, and comparative religion. Um, now, this gentleman saw magic as a sort of unnecessary idea left over from the past that needed to be forgotten. Uh, basically, he, th- he thought it was just some like bullshit. Um, now Crowley, well, Crowley, it was influenced by this guy, but his beliefs differed in that he didn't see magic as needing to be eradicated, but he believed that magic could be adapted to kind of suit this like new age of science. Um, so do we have any thoughts there? I mean, I know we always talk about like, I don't know, just like a link between science and religion. Like, uh, Philip K. Dick was also like big on this in his works and shit. Um, so it is interesting again, like Crowley being ahead of his time in like believing this kind of shit, you know? So this guy is essentially saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like basically getting at like the more that technology and science advances, the less that we need to use like this old way of ritual magic because the new age of magic is like discovering these scientific advances and like pushing the world forward with like actual scientific data and what we can do now rather than like performing some crazy blood sacrifice to have it come about. I think so. Yeah. Like the, the Frazier guy, like he kind of just thought like, you know, magic was just some leftover bullshit from religion, like these rituals. I mean, think about like the rituals we still do, like marriage um that like that's still a ritual you get up at the altar you say your vows you you do the symbolism with the ring prayer and christianity just did it yeah 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 no and and it was it was amazing yeah you guys were there i mean that's a that's a ritual like left over from ages ago and ritual magic and we're yeah exactly and um but i mean i like crowley kind of thought hey this stuff is still can be used and like your will is strong and if we look at like, you know, even we've talked about like simulation theory, multiple dimensions, like if you get to the like tiniest, tiniest parts of like how the universe is put together, I think Crowley's ideas were more like you can use your will is so powerful that you can kind of like change that and and get it to kind of um, conform to what you want it to be, you know? Like that old saying, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. Exactly. I think Crowley said that. Do what thou wilt. <laughs> do what thou wilt, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I did have a thought. So uh, when we speak of combining religion and science and Crowley being an example of that, like it makes me think about how he was doing a lot of like psychedelics and stuff like that, really like living it up, doing his thing. Um, yeah, when you... It, it's been said, the people like our ancestors from like thousands of years ago, you know, they used to like trip on shit or, you know, they would see the stars and be like, Oh, what's that? And they would just like make themselves believe that. Um, and then it became a religion, you know what I mean? So, but from, uh, so that's the religion aspect, but the scientific aspect are the chemicals and the psychedelic, you know, plants or like drugs that they would be taking that would make them see things and make them actually believe that they were real and tangible. Um, and then that stemmed religion out of that. So I think 
it, it, I think in a way, if you look at it from that perspective, that could be a possibility to explain Crowley. Okay, so maybe like drugs are the, um, you're kind of getting at like drugs are the fucking underlying theme here. <laughs> and I'm not saying he was doing them like 24-7. Like, well, he, he was. was. <laughs> like, well, I, yeah, well, okay, maybe he was. But even if he wasn't, like he could have these like very like profound monumental like moments where he's tripping. And then he's like, oh, there's Rehorus. And then it's like, yeah, it actually looks, sounds, it is Rehorus, you know. And then he's just totally sold and bought in in his own religion that he created in his mind. And then, like, it's just a trickle-down effect and more people start to gravitate towards that. I mean... Yeah, and it is like... It's happened um, with every other religion. Like, some people argue that Crowley essentially was building on, like, other 19th century attempts to link early Christianity to these, like, pre-Christian or pagan religions. Um, because Crowley himself, he described three deities taken from ancient Egyptian pantheon... Uh, Newt, Hadit, and uh, Rahurkuit. Um, and in 1928, he made the claim that all true deities were derived from this trinity. So it, I don't know, it's kind of like what you were just saying with like the drugs being the root source. It kind of seems like Crowley was looking for some root source for like religion in general. And I mean, he fucking hated Christianity. Like he wanted Christianity to be wiped out. He wanted this new religion that he was developing to kind of take its place. Um, and this is where I think he's kind of like misunderstood. Like we said up top, he kind of became like a symbol for Satanism and the occult and like evil things. Uh, um, although like Crowley himself did not consider himself a Satanist, nor did he worship Satan. Um, he did not accept the Christian worldview in which Satan was believed to exist. Um, you know, like we said, he essentially wanted to wipe out Christianity or religions like it for this new aeon. Um, and this idea, I guess you sub you could argue that this has sort of happened. You know, I mean, maybe like obviously Christianity, like the major world religions, Christianity, Judaism, uh, Islam, like. Uh, they haven't been fully wiped out, um, but I would say like uh, there's way more people that definitely don't take religion as seriously as back in Crowley's day, you know? Oh, yeah. No, not now it's definitely like be you, be who you want, you know, do... Do what thou wilt. Uh, there, there's no shame, and if you don't think what I think, then we're going to cancel you. Yeah, you know? <laughs> well, do what thou wilt, bad. dude. I mean, so many people... Exactly. Yeah. Um, now... Now, Crowley did use satanic imagery. Um, as we just saw, he described himself as the Beast 666. Um, he referenced the Whore of Babylon, the Scarlet Woman in his works. Um, later in his life, he even sent anti-Christmas cards to his friends every year. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> that's, yeah, uh, that's great. Now, in, in his writings, uh, Crowley identified Awas as Satan and dis- designated him as our Lord God, the devil, on one occasion. Um, Crowley did express strong anti-Christian sentiment, stating that he hated Christianity as socialists hate soap. <laughs> now, I don't fully get that. Are socialists like dirty, like hippie people? Is that like, is that a fucking old saying that I'm not understanding there? 
I think it's just like a jab at socialism at the time. Okay. I mean, even people today still consider it like, oh, socialism is like where everyone shares everything and okay, no one judges it, each it. other and everyone's the same kind of thing. So he's probably just taking a jab at that. Okay. And again, we saw like his animosity with Christianity probably stemmed from his upbringing um, with the Plymouth Brethren or the fucking, uh, what was it? The Exclusive, exclusive Brethren. brethren. Uh, and, you know, obviously his father's death. Um, and he Crowley was also extremely influenced by the King James Bible, especially the book of Revelation. Um, the impact of this can also be seen in his writings. Um, now, he was accused of advocating human sacrifice, largely because of a passage in book four in which he stated, quote, a male child of perfect innocence and high intelligence is the most satisfactory victim. Now, he then added that he sacrificed about 150 every year. Uh, although this was a joke, as he was referencing jerking off. You get it? <laughs> this, is, this is classic oh Crowley. God. He was a bit of a jokester. Um, now, this was obviously taken more literally and in, in turn sensationalized by his critics. Um, because like we saw with the newspapers, um, you know, this was the entertainment of the time. Uh, and the newspapers loved Crowley because what's going to like, what's going to sell more than Satanist sacrifices victims. Like you got a picture of Crowley on there. Like that's going to fucking sell papers. And obviously Crowley loved the notoriety. So this whole thing was a win-win. You know, I saw, I was looking up like all these old papers that were talking about this guy and like his court cases, like calling him the wickedest man in the world, uh, just sensationalizing all these stories and Crowley fucking loved it, you know? Well, and it made him more famous. Exactly. Uh, so this was all playing into his, I guess, like what he wanted because he becomes this fucking image that's like bigger than the stuff he was doing, you know? A lot of yeah, people showing sure. up to those AA meetings. Yeah. And again, even with like, I think he became more popular again in the 80s with like the birth of like metal and people like Ozzy using him and like influencing his songs. So tons of metal bands like use his imagery and shit. And that kind of like re sparked his popularity. Then you had the Satanic Panic in the 90s. Um, they were constantly jabbing at Crowley, his ideas and all that shit. And, um, this is one of the things I was I thought was interesting too. Like if we're talking about him ushering in a new age, and you look at Crowley being a man of the 1800s, this is where he came of age. This is where he starts doing his magical workings, like late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, so the century that followed that did come to far exceed the brutality of humanity during his time. I mean, in the 1900s, we saw the industrialization of warfare, mass slaughter, the First World War, chemical weapons, the Second World War, the Holocaust, nuclear weapons, more genocide, gulags, Vietnam. All these things together create a century unmatched in human history. And if this is was this new age, this like fucking crazy evil spirit shit Crowley was trying to usher in, you could argue... That this did in fact happen, you know? It did. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting I way guess, to like, look at it. Yeah, the eighteen hundreds didn't really see too much craziness. 
especially like the late, late 1800s. I mean, if we're talking like 1860s, obviously American Civil War, um, you have conflicts around the world, but like around that time, really wasn't that bad. And then right after it was like, boom. Yeah. You had crazy. fucking Jack the Ripper in like, what was that? Like 1888. Yeah. I think it was in the late eighties. Like, And then fucking 80s. bada bing, you got both world wars, all this crazy shit in the 1900s. I don't know. It's just like, that was one of the more interesting things. I think, again, I got that from the intelligentsia of Reddit. Um, but you know, it is an interesting way to look at things. And then you did like, you look at his imagery, his reputation. It's like we said, he was a guy who was just fucking like demonized, sensationalized in his lifetime. And he becomes this image like bigger than the man himself, a symbol for the occult. Um, and then you even look at his legacy within like spirituality and all that type of shit. Now, several Western esoteric traditions other than Thelema were also influenced by Crowley. Um, Gerald Gardner, the founder of Gardnerian uh, Wicca, he made use of much of Crowley's published material when composing uh, his ritual liturgy. Uh, Crowley also became a dominant figure in the modern pagan community. American founder of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard, as we saw, was involved with the Lima in the early 40s with Jack Parsons. Um, this leads some to posit the idea that Crowley's ideas influenced Hubbard's work. Um, as we saw, he went on to develop his religion. Um, and despite the fact, as we said, Crowley was not a Satanist, according to some, he embodied the pre-Satanist esoteric discourse on Satan and Satanism throughout his lifestyle and philosophy, having an important influence on later development of religious Satanism. As two prominent figures in religious Satanism, Anton LaVey and Michael Aquino, uh, were influenced by Crowley's work. Uh, now, various characters in fiction have based... Um, have been based upon Crowley. One of the earliest was the character of the poet Shelley Arabin uh, in John Buchan's 1926 novel, The Dancing Floor. Um, in the novel, The Devil Rides Out, writer Dennis Wheatley used Crowley as a partial basis for the character of Damien Morcada, a portly bald priest who engages in black magic. Um, the occultist Dion Fortune used Crowley as the basis for characters in her book, The Secrets of Dr. Tavener and the Winged Bull. As we said, he was included as one of the figures on the cover of the Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in 1967. His motto of do what thou wilt is inscribed on the vinyl of Led Zeppelin's album, Led Zeppelin Three. Uh, Led Zeppelin co-founder Jimmy Page actually bought the Boleskin property in 1971 and part of the film The Song Remains the Same was filmed on the grounds. Uh, Jimmy Page was like huge into Crowley uh, and it has been suggested that lyrics of David Bowie's number one hit single Let's Dance paraphrase Crowley's 1923 poem The Lyric of Love to Leah. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes, and Bob Daisley also wrote the song titled Mr. Crowley in 1980, and this was released on Osborne's debut solo album, Blizzard of Oz. Um, so as you can see, 
This guy keeps coming up throughout the decades in music, pop culture. Um, this is a quote from the 2003 paper by Marco Passi, uh, the never-endingly told story, colon, recent biographies of Aleister Crowley. Says he is today looked upon as a source of inspiration by many people in search of spiritual enlightenment or instruction in magical practice. While during his life, his books hardly sold and his disciples were never very numerous. Nowadays, all his important works are constantly in print and the people defining themselves as Thelemites number in the several thousand all over the world. Furthermore, Crowley's influence over magically oriented new religious movements has in some cases been very deep and pervasive. It would be difficult to understand, for instance, some aspects of Anglo-Saxon neo-paganism and contemporary Satanism without a solid knowledge of Crowley's doctrines and ideas. In other fields such as poetry, alpinism, and painting, he may have been a minor figure, but it is only fair to admit that in the limited context of occultism, he has played and still plays a major role. And there you fucking have it. Alistair Crowley. I mean, any final thoughts on this gentleman? Uh, what do you guys got? He definitely made a legacy for himself. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't demonize, demonize a guy. I mean, he was just doing his thing. It's not like he was like going around murdering people. Uh, he was just kind of living his best life, so to speak. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I didn't know... I learned a lot tonight um, talking about this, and uh, I, I'm not so sure about the paranormal aspect and like him being actually magical. But I think from like a pop like sensation in like almost the first like viral kind of you know machine that just influenced people in the mod in modern media, I guess is the right way to put it. Um, pretty fascinating guy, gotta say. Uh, I think that even though his ultimate idea of like wiping out world religions and creating his own religion that everyone would follow wasn't really like deemed successful, I think it's definitely a fact that he opened the door for, I mean, maybe not magic, but definitely, I think, uh, people that are into spiritualism as far as, like, tarot cards, like, burning of sage, like, the powers of crystals and stuff like that. The new age. Stuff. Yeah, I think that that stuff definitely wouldn't have taken off the way that it has in recent years without him kind of cracking open all the stuff that he got into and i know the that we're a little skeptical on the paranormal side but as i texted you guys the other day when i was watching a couple documentaries on him it's dead silent in my house i'm just chilling at night late at night watching these documentaries after i got home from work and as soon as they started talking about him being like Mr. Beast 666, this picture that I have hanging on the wall just fucking falls off and the glass shattered into like a hundred pieces on the floor. Like this picture has been hanging up in my house for like the past year and a half. 
no problem. Like there wasn't any wind, nothing like knocked it off the wall. Okay, so you're thinking that was crap. So, what was the picture of? It was just like some tattoo flash that I had hanging on the wall. And yeah, it, specifically it's actually, was there a, uh... it was pretty crazy. It's on the same wall Damn. as I have this uh, flash of Ozzy Osbourne, but the Ozzy Osbourne stuff is still hanging up. Okay. So that was Very like pretty creepy. Spooky. That is kind of weird for sure. All Hallows Eve yeah. content for you guys. Um, yeah. I, okay. I will say with this one, I know this was our Halloween episode, but um, I feel like with this guy, his image, like we said, eclipsed who he was. Like, I don't, I mean, definitely the guy was fucking off his rocker and he was, uh, he was Just a little bit. fucking out there. Um, Slightly. But I think his image of being like this occult fucking black magician, like Wickedest Satanist. Man in the world. Yeah. I think all that is a little sensationalized. You know, as we saw going through his life, this was kind of just a fucking rich guy who had a disdain for Christianity that, like, I think it would be interesting to put if Crowley was like alive today. I wonder who he would be, you know? It would be interesting to see because. It's like we said, this guy was possibly a man before his time. He paved the way for a lot of um, new age thought and that type of thing. So it would be interesting to see where he would be if he came of age in like the 21st century, you know? I mean, interesting guy nonetheless. Um, and there you have it. Um, that is everything you need to know about Aleister Crowley. On this one, I want to cite... Do What Thou Wilt, quote, A Life of Aleister Crowley by Lawrence Sutton. Uh, documentary by Shiver on YouTube, uh, which was Aleister Crowley, colon, The Wickedest Man in History, 666, colon, In Search of the Great Beast. That's what I was watching when that shit happened. Yeah, and uh, that was god-awful, boring documentary, yeah. but I did have Terrible. to get through that one. Uh, and then uh, Prepare... For change.net for the Aleister Crowley and Bush connection. And like I said, I'll link that one in the description for you guys to check out. And um, yeah, there you have it, guys. Once again, happy Halloween. Um, hope you're having fun out there. Maybe conjure up some spirits. Do some fucking sex magic rituals. Do what thou wilt. Uh, yeah, do what thou wilt. And um, stay safe out there, guys. And on that one. As always, guys, thank you for tuning in. Happy Halloween, as Ryan said. And if you want to check out more, hit up the podcast from outerspace.com. You can find out more about us, buy some cool merch. We got the website fully up and running. And, uh, you know, as always, if you got something you want to hear, feel free to shoot us a DM. You can message us either on the website or on Instagram, podcast from outer space. Yeah, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Um, you know, have a safe, fun Halloween. Um, I also wanted to mention uh, I got a musical project called Survive the Night, and we're releasing a song in the next week or so. Um, it's called Heartbeat, so that'll be on Apple Music and Spotify. Um, it's got energy. It's, it's fun. So, yeah, thanks so much again. See you on the flip side.